Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. We help women through the heartbreak of miscarriage, and as a nonprofit, we run completely on donations. Our services help thousands of women, so please support us by donating through our website, managingmiscarriage.com, or visit our Patreon page for over 30 more miscarriage stories, as well as exclusive content. Check it out at patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash miscarriage. It's also linked in the details below. Thank you for tuning in. I have Bethany with me here today, who found out she was miscarrying in March and actually experienced a partial molar pregnancy, which is very rare, about one in 1,000 pregnancies. So we have the privilege of hearing her story today. Bethany, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Melissa. So take us to the beginning of this journey for you. Sure. Um, Actually, to rewind a little bit further, um, one thing that is a little important to the background of my story is um, um, I've been married for about five years, and um, my husband's sister and brother, they're all very close, and we all ended up getting married around the same time. Um, And they're a whole lot older than we are. We were the youngins getting married. And so they all started having, trying to have kids right of way. Um, and his brother, um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law in two, June, 2015, um, unfortunately uh, lost their baby uh, about a month before he was supposed to be born, Owen. And that really rocked our whole family's world. Um, we had thrown her a shower. We had written Owen notes. Like we, Travis and I were already, you know, his aunt and uncle. Um, so I went into starting to try, um, with my eyes very wide open and knew that there was lots of risks. Um, but also since there had been a lot of tragedy in his family, um, his sister also experienced multiple miscarriages. I thought, you know, maybe we'll be the lucky ones, right? Um, get out of this scot-free. Um, we are very lucky. We got pregnant right away uh, when we wanted to start trying. And But um, I immediately um, did not have the sense of joy. I think the typical first time pregnant woman has when they look at that um, pregnancy test, I immediately was terrified. Um, I took multiple pregnancy tests and didn't really believe that they were real. Um, In fact, I even, um, we had like a pre-meeting with our um, doctor where they went over all the financials and, and they wanted me to take a test, but it was before he actually saw the doctor and they're going through all the steps. And I interrupted her halfway through and I was like, Hey, so what were the results on my test? Um, oh my gosh. I was <laughs> am just I actually pregnant. Am I actually? And, and, and my husband just looked at me like, you're insane. You were pregnant. Stop being a crazy person. <laughs> 
You've been through so much, though, with yeah family. I mean, so understandable. So, yeah. So it was hard for me to really let myself get excited. And because of that, we we didn't tell a lot of people um, at first. Um, but we did tell a few close friends. Um, but we hadn't even told our, our parents or our family. Um, and then we had our eight-week appointment. Um, and that's when we found out, that was March 23rd, and that's when we found out that it wasn't going to be a viable pregnancy um, once we had the ultrasound. And and all of that is really a blur. <laughs> I don't remember much from there other than, um, you know, remembering that my doctor was really kind in that moment um, and just feeling really overwhelmed. And then she gave me the options because I had just started spotting that morning, like I'd gone to the bathroom and just saw a little bit of blood. And I just had this, I knew that that could be normal. And that was the first time I had seen anything. So I just tried to like put it out of my mind, but I immediately had a sinking feeling. Um, and so of course it was missed miscarriage because it's, it's really difficult for partial molars I don't even think it's possible to pa pass those naturally um, from what I've read. Um, and so she gave me the, the typical options, you know, the medicine or the waiting to pass it naturally, although she advised me that we couldn't wait too long um, because it, it had looked like the baby had stopped growing for about two weeks or so. Um, and I was so thankful in that moment because I was just a little shell shock and um, my husband stepped in and he was like very decisive but I think he knew he knew what I wanted in that moment and um, I had a really big event the next weekend so for my day job I um, plan events for our community I work for our downtown Springfield and we were launching a brand new film festival the following Saturday um, oh my gosh yeah, and so I just knew that I needed all of a sudden, that's all I could think about, which maybe isn't um, the most uh, emotional response, but all I could think about was I had a huge week of work ahead of me and I couldn't be gone or like be down for the count. And so we, he immediately was like, I think the medicine would probably be the best route to help try to control it. And so I took the medicine and um, the first round didn't seem to do anything. So I took a second round the following day um, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt what I could only think of could be described as um, labor type contractions, but it almost immediately went away. Um, it was like, it was very severe. It woke me up in the middle of the night, but it was gone almost as much, almost as quickly as it came. But me being a little naive, I thought, well, maybe that was it, you know? Um, were you bleeding? I was, um, but I have always had light periods. And so I think I just had no idea what I should be looking for. Right. <laughs> um, and what was enough and what was too, like, I don't know. I just feel like I wasn't fully prepared to know what was um, 
passing enough. And I woke up feeling great, um, better than I had felt in like eight, eight weeks because I had had pretty severe morning sickness. Um, probably looking back because my HT, you know, C levels would have been so much higher. Um, so I go back in for my check-in on Tuesday. Um, and it, it was really funny because at first the nurse was like, oh, well, it sounds like you passed everything. I don't think she'll want to do an exam. I'm like, I think she's going to want to do an exam. <laughs> and of course the doctor comes in and she's like, we're going to need to do an exam. And and then, I then we find out that unfortunately nothing really has passed. Um, so at that point, my doctor gave me the option to do um, an in-office procedure. Um, she felt confident that the medicine had loosened things up enough that she could get it. And she really wanted to help me avoid a DNC if all possible. So at this point, we just think it's a normal miscarriage. And um, Oh, so you don't realize at this point that no. it's... Oh, yeah. So we just think it's a normal miscarriage. And so she thinks, I think if if I just get in there with some tools and an ultrasound, I can help complete the miscarriage just here in the office and help you avoid surgery. Um, and in my head, again, I did. I don't think I, I think I was naive. I didn't quite know what I was getting into. But my dear friend, um, Amber was there with me um, because my husband had to work. Um, and so I had the courage to be like, you know what, if this helps me avoid surgery, even if it's a little painful, like I probably should try. Um, so I did. And thank goodness I had my friend with me and I about squeezed her hand off. Uh, it was the most pain I think I've ever experienced in my life. Um, they essentially were doing a DNC. I realize after the fact with suction, but with no pain meds and no actual dilation. Um, and that was very traumatic. Oh my gosh, yes. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I could barely walk after the procedure. Uh, it took me a minute to like regain um, composure. Uh, and I just was in a lot of pain. I went home and my friend, she got me a shake and I went home and just sat on my corn pillow for a long time again, thinking, well, maybe this was, maybe this was it. And um, my doctor seemed to think that even though she didn't quite get all of it, that that would probably help activate it and it'll probably pass all on its own. But she wanted to see me again on Thursday. Did you feel misled or violated or like from that's at, traumatic yeah at the time I um didn't think much of it because I felt like I needed to be brave and felt like which this net looking back I see how this was a little misguided but I thought to myself like if you can't handle this this little five minute procedure, Bethany, how in the world are you going to deliver a baby one day? Like, just suck it up. You can do it, and you got to be strong. And looking back, I wish I had never done that. Um, 
and I see that it was maybe a poor decision and wish I had maybe had more information. But I remember my my mom, both my mom and my mother-in-law were horrified when I told them what had happened. They were like, I can't believe the doctor would do that to you. And I'm like, I think she's just, you know, she just really wanted me not to have the surgery. And um, I trusted her. And um, I think I wouldn't have d done it again, knowing what I know now. But I don't think that she meant any ill will or any malintent but oh of course not but that doesn't yeah. mean you don't feel right <laughs> that way okay okay yeah um so, so you went home you're I resting did. um i did go to work uh, i didn't go to work on wednesday i worked from home but i had to keep working again because i had that big event on saturday um and then on Thursday, I went in just briefly because I needed to get everybody ready and for our final committee meeting. And um, I left around lunchtime once I had gotten like my team up to speed with how they could do it without me. And so I missed our final event committee meeting as like this whole leader of the event because I had to go back to be checked again. And I was just so worried going into that. I just knew that um, I couldn't do that in office procedure again. But I'm also the kind of person that um, I trust my doctors really well. And it's hard for me to, like, go against um, or, you know, I knew that if she had suggested something, I just was really hoping that she would say it's either all done or you need a DNC, like it would be definite, like she wouldn't leave it up to me. Because <laughs> um, I just didn't trust myself to make that decision. I was still in so much pain and just feeling the aftermath of that. And thankfully she did say, unfortunately, there's not enough. Uh, there's still material in there, but I need, so I think we need to do a DNC. Um, and at that point, I was a little stunned too because I wanted to avoid it. But my friend, um, and my friend quickly stepped in for me. She said, so she's got this really big event on Friday, on Saturday. When does this need to happen? <laughs> and thankfully, she said it wasn't emergent. She thought I'd be fine. And so we scheduled the DNC for Tuesday. Um, so... I go home, still sore, um, but back and a little defeated that I'm going to have to do this surgery, but back to the grind because I really didn't have time to grieve or process or do anything. Um, I had to be in front of people, 100 plus people in uh, 24, 48 hours. So um I I went to work Friday and all day Saturday and so I'm I was so thankful that we had picked red for one of our colors for the event because I was wearing a red dress all day long and a pad and just praying just in case and just praying that I wouldn't bleed through my red dress and make a fool out of myself in front of everyone and um I was surprised at how well I was able to um, survive that day. I think I was just in fight or flight mode and the event went really well, but I came home and I just 
it's like all of a sudden the weight had hit me of everything that had happened and I just melted and my husband just held me and I cried for a really long time. Um, yeah, so um, that was all still thinking this was a fairly normal miscarriage that my body just didn't know how to complete. Um, the DNC went fairly well by all accounts and my doctor even told my husband that she thought that we'd be able, that I did really well. She thought we'd be able to try again really soon and, and everything like that. So, um, I was sore, but I took a couple of days off work after the fact. Um, but I did go to back to work, I think on Thursday and Friday, moving slower, but I had to keep going because, um, we had another event and our biggest event of the year in like six weeks. So I couldn't really rest or take time for myself like I probably should have. Um, so I go back for my two week follow-up appointment and I don't feel well. I still feel really bad and I didn't want her to touch me or examine me. I was very, very tender and um, she told me at that point that I probably had um, an infection. So she put me on some antibiotics and that's also when we got the news that it was a partial uh, molar pregnancy. And I had never even heard of that except when I was at my DNC, she had mentioned that they needed to send the remains off for testing and asked us if we wanted any additional testing. And my husband immediately said, no, 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 no we don't want any test. And she's like, well, we always do this one test and this test is really important just to rule out molar, but it's probably not that you, it's like a really, really rare, but we just want to make sure that it's not that. And he was like, okay, that's fine. Um, and then that word came back two weeks later when we found out that it was a partial molar pregnancy. Wow. So you're in the office, you get the news about the partial molar pregnancy, which I'm sure you couldn't even digest at that moment. And then you started on an antibiotic for a suspected infection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, it was a lot. Uh, I didn't go back to work that day. I just <laughs> stayed in bed and, Thank goodness. and cried yeah. <laughs> the rest of the day. Um, I think before that point, because I'm a pretty positive, upbeat person, you know, I'm not going to let, you know, too much get me down. And I think when it was just an, a quote unquote normal miscarriage, but what's normal, right, about anything, um, I was just like, you know, we'll get through this, I'll finish, I'll get through my next event, and I'll be healthy again, and we'll start trying again, like, you know, I just kept, I felt like I needed to keep moving. And all of a sudden, uh, for those, I know you recently had someone on the podcast that have been through a partial molar, but essentially for those who aren't familiar with it, it just is when um, two sperm uh, fertilize one egg. So there's a double amount of genetic material and your body gets confused and creates too much abnormal cell growth. Um, so they worry that that abnormal cell growth 
could keep going even though the pregnancy is terminated. In some really rare cases, it can turn to cancer. Um, but the bottom line, what I hear and what keeps me in bed all day is you can't try again for another six months to a year. Um, so it kind of forced me to face um, my grief and my trauma in a way I don't think I would have faced. Um, and it came with a lot of anxiety of going to the doctor once a week, you know, hoping that my levels are going down and that I don't have cancer. <laughs> um, and every time I'm getting a little sick, you know, <laughs> just a basic flu thinking, oh, I must have cancer. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I must have a tumor in my intestine or I must have, you know, your mind just goes to really dark places um, with that anxiety. And it took my levels a really long time to go down, abnormally long. Um, I was going weekly to the doctor from April all the way to the end of July um, to get my blood drawn. That's so much. Yeah. Okay. And so when the process goes on and on like this, what is the emotional part like? Do you feel like you can even begin to have any closure? Not that we ever get full closure, but you know, you're just still in it every week. Right. Uh, I think a mix between the anxiety of am I okay? And then I also had all of this intense work pressure going on at the same time. And I was in the midst of taking grad classes. So I really couldn't let myself stop and grieve. I think the way I probably needed to. And so when I got through my summer event, um, in June, and I finished my my summer class. Um, July, all of a sudden, it was like this delayed grief hit me really hard. Um, and I didn't know what to do with it, because I thought, you know, this happened in March, what am I doing here in July? Um, I went to a really dark place in July, uh, with my grief. Um, and that's when I found your podcast. Um, there was probably a full week where um, I was a week or two in July where I was probably in the darkest place I feel like I've ever been in, uh, emotionally speaking. Um, and but then I, I did start trying to make positive steps. Um, I feel like I'm still in it, which is crazy to me to say. I feel like, um, you know, six months <laughs> later. But um, I do feel like I'm making progress and making baby steps to process it more every day. And um uh, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, the partial molar pregnancy. It's definitely a curse mostly, <laughs> but um, I don't think I would have processed, I would have sat still and processed the grief the way I probably needed to if I wasn't forced to for some medical reason. Good for you seeing a little bit of light <laughs> in the situation. Yeah. 
so where where does this where do you feel this the most in your body is my question oh what a good question um I've actually been reading the body keeps score recently and been thinking more about that. Um, I've definitely um, feel it in my gut. Uh, I, in fact, one of the weird side effects, I don't know if any other women have experienced this, but for me, it's been really difficult to work out um, and go to yoga class uh, without um, completely breaking down into tears. Usually I end up <laughs> in child's pose trying to hide my tears um, because I think there was so much trauma between that procedure and the DNC in my core, in my being that anytime I'm working on, you know, my abs or that it like stirs up all the grief again out of nowhere. You know, I'm in the middle of a, a bar class listening to Beyonce and all of a sudden I'm sad <laughs> and it's, um, it's a little crazy, but it's definitely very localized to just my gut. Well, and then as we move and especially in certain yoga poses, it moves the emotions along. Right. Right. Which is great for healing, but yeah, it's intimidating when you're in class. I have had that happen. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, pigeon pose got me again. Right. I've I've started doing more yoga classes at home, which has been helpful, like just with the little podcast and doing really simple, like restorative poses. Um, because that feels a bit more safe um than you know, putting and I still try to go to yoga, but I don't go like I used to in the big classes because of that. I do more at home. That's good, though. Listening yeah. Listening to what you need. Yeah. Anything else to share with us? Yeah. Um, I did want to share some of the things that I've learned in this season of having to sit with it and just some things that I that have been helpful to me. Um, first off, I read the book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler, which is the most fantastic thing I've ever read. Um, it just talks about, um, you know, when life isn't so bright and shiny and when you're dealt a bad hand and how sometimes what people say is, worse than what you're actually going through sometimes or it feels that way <laughs> and just how to deal with it and how to sit with it um, and she's so funny you know she's diagnosed with stage four cancer and she still cracks jokes but also just like learning that it's okay to not be okay um, and so that book was really helpful to me um, I also have been doing a lot of reading on up on a, um, a theory called the Enneagram, which is um, fascinating. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like Myers-Briggs without a lack of too much. It's kind of like a personality type test, but it goes much deeper and it helps there's a lot of tools on just learning about yourself and growing. Like I've learned 
that um, I identify most with the number um, of the group six, which um, deals a lot with fear and security and anxiety, um, but also can be sort of the protectors of um, people and just learning about myself and digging in deep and finding tools of ways that I can deal with that anxiety and deal with that fear has been really helpful. Um, along with, you know, listening to stories on the podcast and going to therapy. I had never been a person that went to therapy before this, but when it hit me hard in July, I started going and I'm so glad that I did. Um, it's been very helpful um, for me. Good. Good. Yeah. And there's been lots of things, little things too, like just learning to trust my gut. Um, I have, there's been occasionally moments where I feel like I should tell someone my story and part of me in the, like the little voice in my head says, that's silly, you know, don't bring them down. Um, but every time I've ignored that little voice and trusted my gut and shared my story. It's always been um, beneficial. Um, one of my dear friends, um, I had shared my story with her and I found out that she had also been through a miscarriage and I had no idea, but then I didn't see her and I got the partial molar pregnancy and I didn't see her very often because we live on totally different sides of the of the country and I just felt like I needed to tell her and I'm like why do I feel like I need to tell her about my new diagnosis but I just ended up one day I was like you know what I'm just gonna text her I'm gonna tell her what's going on and I did and she immediately texted me back and said her mom had been through the exact same thing um and that was the first person I knew that had been through it and so um I got to I've talk to her a lot, um, text her every once in a while. She'll check in on me, on my levels, and just to know someone who had been through it and now has four beautiful adult children that are some of my favorite people in the whole wide world um, was, was really comforting. So I think that it's really easy to think that, you know, somehow bringing up our story, um, you know, make someone sad or, you know, you don't want to put that burden on them. But often if we have that pull to tell that story, it's for a reason. So just learning to trust yourself um, because there's a reason why that tugs there. Um, you know, well, maybe it's that you'll help that person or maybe it will just help you to tell them or maybe there's some crazy connection you would have never imagined. Um, yeah. You're so spot on. Yeah. And I've, I've just been, I, like I said, I've always been a go, go, go kind of person and I've started quitting things, which is not my, <laughs> it's not what I do. Um, but it has been very helpful for me in my healing journey to just give myself some more grace yeah. and some more margin and space. Right. Yeah. To, to be like October 1st. I knew October would be hard because 
Um, I was due in October and share, um, you know, pregnancy and infants loss awareness month. And I knew that because of my sisters in laws and we always go to an event every year, a memorial event every year to remember Owen in October. So I knew that October would be hard, but I had no idea like the flip of the calendar, like October 1st, it came and it just hit me and knocked me on my feet for 48 hours. So I think it's just been important for me to give myself a little grace and <laughs> so that and take things off my plate and start saying no because so I can <laughs> be knocked out for 48 hours if I need to be, but then get back up again and keep living life because you've got to, but you've got to also leave room for the unexpected grief when it hits you. I don't think I have anything better to say after that. So thank you so much for joining yeah. today, Bethany, and sharing not only your story, but so much beautiful insight. Yeah, in fact, if you wouldn't mind, Melissa, um, I'd love to share a poem oh, that please. has yeah. really been comforting to me, and I don't know if it would be comforting to anyone else, but I wrote this poem when I read it, um, and I keep it on my window by, 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 by dishes, so it's never far. And in some of my darkest moments, I just repeat it back to myself over and over, and maybe it'll help someone else too, but um, the poem goes, let everything happen to you beauty and terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Interested in hearing more miscarriage stories? We have over 30 more episodes on Patreon. Check it out at patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash miscarriage. It's also linked in the details below. Stay connected. Find us on Instagram at managing.miscarriage, on Facebook at Miscarriage Nonprofit, and don't forget to download our free e-guide on our website, managingmiscarriage.com. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating so more women can find us. Also, listen to exclusive episodes directly on the Patreon app.